When I think of loving the Lord with all your soul, I think of the capacities of the soul. And to love God with this, with all your soul, is to put your whole self into it, but your whole self as an embodied self. Souls don't float disembodied, but souls always find some corporeal agency. The soul is that part that actually can find its seat in my biophysical suit here, but it can find its seat in the heart of this congregation. <laughs> it can find its seat in the heart of this nation. It can find its seat in the heart of the human family. To me, as a black American, soul means everything. James Cone was looking for the prophetic, the moral dimension of the black church, pushing for it and saying, we need to bring it to life. And he was right. But Henry Mitchell was saying, yes, that's normative, but we also ask what is descriptive about black Christianity. There's something soulful. There's something about the whole experience that when we fail on the moral dimension, we have a soul of care, a soul of recovery, a soul of embrace. It's more than just the top down. Here are the norms, live by them, but it's also the bottom up. Here is the embodied person who has failed, but who also can be redeemed and who also finds ways of redeeming each other uh, to grow into the fullness of, of the stature of Christ that we were made of. I had felt a call to ministry and I always knew I was called to be a minister. It wasn't until I was in the Calvin Simmons Theater in Oakland, California. I am up in the balcony. They were having the Bay Area convention meetings and there was a preacher preaching a sermon on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was a lady on the front row who screamed and started shouting. And she's screaming loud and crying and saying, thank you, Jesus, thank And the first thing happened is it scared me. The second thing, as I was looking around to see, does anyone else see this as odd? And then the third thing that happened is I was overshadowed with the sense of the Spirit of God. A warm feeling went through my chest and it was almost as if the Spirit of God was saying, the life of the soul is real. Please join me in standing for the reading of the word. Mark 12, 28 to 31. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When you hear the word soul, what comes to mind? I looked up soul in Google search this week and came up with uh, 1.38 billion results. 
But the very first one that came up is the 2020 Christmas movie by Disney, um, Soul, uh, where the pianist Joel Gardner is killed in an accident before his big break as a jazz musician. Um, and he's trying to reunite his separated soul with his body. Maybe you think of a soul as the idea of having a conscious, immaterial essence that continues after you die. Now, the movie was brilliant because there's that concept that people have of soul, but at the same time, the movie celebrates soul music. Soul music was pioneered in the late 1950s by black Americans, and it can include rhythm and blues, jazz, gospel. Many soul artists got their start in the black church. And then as they incorporated blues and expanded to secular lyrics, soul took on a life of its own and was instrumental in the civil rights movement. In the 1960s, black Americans began to use the term soul food to describe the food that had been prepared for generations. And there's history here, is there not? You see, for 250 years in this country, uh, enslaved people would receive for food certain rations, and once a week it was quite common to receive five pounds of starch, so that might be cornmeal, rice, sweet potato, a couple pounds of dried, salted, or smoked meat, whatever was the cheapest, often pork was available, but little uh, parts that maybe weren't as desirable, um, and a jug of molasses. And enslaved people had to forage for greens or grow traditional vegetables from West Africa like okra, pepper, black-eyed peas. After the Civil War, as the black community came together for church from week to week, eating together was a huge part of that experience, and soul food became symbolic of the community. And then during the Great Migration, when a lot of people moved up north, um, cities were segregated, and so you had many black residents had as their neighbors Italian residents and new immigrants, Chinese immigrants, Latin American immigrants, and so all these elements worked their way in as well to be adopted into soul food. For those who left the South, soul food was a reminder of home. What do you think of when you hear the word soul? In our text today, when Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your soul, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. Last week, we started our series on this, on this text, um, our sermon series on the greatest, and Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, where Moses is speaking to the children of Israel who had been slaves for about 400 years and were now on the crux, on the edge of going over into the promised land. In Hebrew, the word we translate soul, when it says, love the Lord your God with all of your soul, the word in Hebrew is nefesh, nefesh. Now, nefesh originally was the word for your neck or your throat, your nefesh, your neck or your throat. And how did this word come to mean something a lot more than simply your neck or your throat? Well, your neck or your throat is where everything pertaining to life has to go through, right? Your breath goes in and out through your throat, your water goes in through your throat, your food goes in through your throat. 
So your nafesh came to be understood as being your whole being, your whole being. I'm going to show you this in Genesis 2, verse 7. Genesis 2, verse 7, describing the creation of humanity. It says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living nephesh, soul. Perhaps you saw, saw this at some Seventh-day Adventist evangelistic meetings. This next slide here. Um, the dust of the ground, yes, and the breath of life equals a soul, a nephesh. So as wholeness, as some of the Adventist Christians, we're very excited about the idea that you don't have a soul that separates from your body and is conscious after you die, but you are a soul. You are a living soul. Your body and your breath are all part of what it means to be a soul. The concept of the immortal soul that exists consciously apart from your body after you die came into Christianity from Greek philosophy. And with this idea, unfortunately, came the idea that spiritual is good and physical is bad or material is bad. Our spirit or our soul, based on Greek philosophy, is trapped in our physical body and is set free at death. But the Hebrews knew no such dichotomy. Dust, breath, living soul. What does this mean for us? Well, if our bodies are an essential part of our soul, that means that God cares for our bodies, not just our spirits. Amen? Your body is a crucial part of who you are, of you as a soul, a living soul. God cares about your body, and that means also that caring for our bodies, can you believe this? Caring for our bodies is as much an act of worship to God as caring for our spirits. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. You know, the spiritual disciplines were there to make us more loving and lovable people. Prayer, reading your Bible, going to worship. But sometimes a nap is what you really need. My soul. What is my soul? My soul is all of me. All of me. My body, my spirit. My physical, my spiritual, all parts of me. Now, maybe if some of you told me that you saw this article in the Pacific Union Recorder um, this last month uh, where I talk about running the comrades in ultramarathon. Um, and I ran it inspired by my grandfather who had run it three times. And I'm so excited that my grandparents are here today. Uh, they're waving there in the middle. Um, they have been married for 72 years. Amen. 72 years. Grandpa is 95 and Granny is turning 97 this February. Now, when you get to your 90s, there's no secret on your age, right? You can brag about it, right? So they, they are doing well and I'm so grateful. Um, they're my inspiration. So my grandfather ran the comrades three times and I determined I would run it as well. Um, the comrades 
is two marathons back to back with a mile and a half added on the end just for fun. So I, I trained and I prepared and I got ready and I ran this race and I won't tell you how it ends because I want you all to eventually get this book when it comes out. But I did that, friends, in 2017. The funnest comment that one of you made for me um, is that you said, um, I had no idea you were such a beast, quote unquote. <laughs> like, the, the operative word there is were were because <laughs> that was 2017. Since 2017, I have had three children. Um, and the most exercise I've been doing um, is pretty much running after them. Like the one mile walk around my neighborhood, that's, that's my exercise. No, no half marathons, no ultra marathons lately. But yeah, it is, it is an, it's its own ultra marathon, right? It's true, but this year I was trying to take advantage of the fact that I'm dropping all three kids off at the Loma Linda Children's Center, which happens to be right next to the Drayson Center. So I thought, aha, I have my plan. This is what I'm gonna do this year. I'm gonna drop the kids off, and then I'm gonna go to the Drayson Center, and I'll get all my stuff to shower and everything and be ready for that, and then I'll, I'll do that. So on Tuesday I said, well, I'm gonna try. And so I parked my car at the Children's Center, got all the kids out, got them all set up, and then I ran to the Drayson Center, looked around, ran back to my car, and I was so proud of myself. <laughs> three minutes there, three minutes back, and guess what, the next day, friends, I was sore. <laughs> it's easy for us to prioritize our spiritual life over our physical life, is it not? But those little efforts that we do to care for our bodies, God, I believe, smiles at that because God loves us as human souls, not simply spirits, but human body and spirit and mind together. Thinking of our spiritual life as more important than our physical life or other parts of life can, can lead to other challenges for us as well. When I was a college student, I remember being here at La Sierra and struggling with this question, are you called? I asked myself, am I called? Other people would ask me, am I called? And everybody knew what we were talking about without saying more. What they meant was, are you called to pastoral ministry? But there's a problem with this, because it implies that only pastors are called. What about being a business person? What about being a teacher? What about being an artist? Are these not all callings as well? Are you called? The reformer Martin Luther fought against these distinctions between spiritual and temporal or and material and spiritual. In an open letter to the German Christian nobility in 1520, he wrote this, it is pure invention that pope, bishops, priests, and monks are to be called the spiritual estate. Princes, lords, artisans, and farmers, the temporal estate. That is indeed a fine bit of lying and hypocrisy. I love it that Martin Luther just does not mince words. 
All Christians are truly of the spiritual estate and there's no difference at all but that of the office. 500 years ago, Martin Luther tried to get it into our heads that there's not a difference in quality of being, being a pastor or being a business person or being a farmer or being a teacher. He goes on, the works of monks and priests however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from all the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household task, but all works are measured before God by faith alone. What is Luther saying? He's saying, and he wrote this, by the way, to people considering uh, being clergy, people considering joining a monastery or becoming a nun. He wrote this to them. He said, before you do it, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that in God's sight, the work of preaching a sermon is no better than the work of doing the dishes. Do you believe it? In the same letter, he says, there is no true basic difference between laymen and priests, princes and bishops, between religious and secular. Powerful. No difference, really? A couple years later, in 1522, Luther preached a sermon called The Estate of Marriage. Addressing the men in the room, it's, it's written, this part is spoken to men, as most sermons were in the mid-1500s. Addressing the men in the room, he writes this. He spoke this. Alas, must I rock the baby, wash its diapers, make its bed, smell its stench, stay up nights with it, take care of it when it cries, heal its rashes and sores. I think having a baby was a little harder back then. And on top of that, care for my wife, provide for her, labor at my, at my trade, Take care of this and take care of that. Do this and do that. Endure this and endure that. And whatever else of bitterness and drudgery married life involves. What should I make such a prisoner of myself? Perhaps this should be in all our premarital sessions. <laughs> in other words, do I have to take out the trash again? Luther argues that in the spirit, he says, in the spirit, rocking a baby and dealing with diapers are duties adorned with divine approval. They are acts of worship. Luther writes, oh, how gladly will I do so, though the duties should be even more insignificant and despised. Neither frost nor heat, neither drudgery nor labor will distress or dissuade me, for I am certain that it is thus pleasing in thy sight. So next time, friends, you face a pile of dirty dishes in the sink or you change a dirty diaper, say, pleasing in thy sight. I want you to turn to your neighbor today and say, pleasing in thy sight. As Dr. Maury Jackson shared in his video, souls don't float around disembodied. Souls are seated in this biophysical suit in the heart of this congregation, this nation, this human family. 
Thank you, Dr. Maury Jackson. We appreciate the good work you do in teaching our students across the street at Lost Year University and preparing pastors for the work of ministry. So, taking out the trash is a way to love the Lord your God with all your soul. Crocheting is a way of loving the Lord your God with all your soul. Annie Henry is here today, and I want to mention that this afternoon, from 2 to 5, the Blanket Club meets in the office right across the street at the ministry center here across the uh, parking lot. And they meet once a month from 2 to 5. And these ladies and men use their hands to create tangible expressions of God's love to give to new mothers, to give to foster youth that have graduated out of the system, elders in care facilities, to our friends without homes, and low-income communities in Mexico. And I have had the joy of benefiting from their work as well. Um, if you see the next one, um, they gave me a beautiful hat and a wonderful, a few wonderful sweaters and blankets for Desmond, and I'm so grateful. And you don't have to know how to crochet a knit to go. You can just show up. They have the yarn. They'll be happy to teach you. Uh, that's from 2 to 5 today or every second Sabbath. Crocheting is a way of loving the Lord your God with all of your soul. My soul is all of me. My soul is all of me. And yet... This doesn't tell the whole story. Doesn't tell the whole story. In the songs of the Hebrew scriptures, I not only am a nephesh, but I also can talk to my nephesh. What's that about? Psalms 103 verse one says, bless the Lord, O my nephesh, and all that is in me, bless his holy name. Does that sound familiar? We have some songs that are, are like that, um, uh, 10,000 reasons, right? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. It's right from this song. Um, Bless the Lord, oh my soul. You might recognize that. And the wonderful gospel song, if anybody knows it, do you, um, I command my soul to bless the Lord. Okay, some of you know that song. We can really get into it, but uh, I, I will, yeah, I hear, I hear some of you. I hear, thank you. So we're talking to our soul. This happens in the Hebrew Bible with the word nephesh. How can the soul, how can nephesh be all of me and yet I can also talk to my soul, to my nephesh? What is going on here? I'm gonna go to the Greek um, to look at this here. The Greek word used to translate nephesh is psuche, psuche or psyche from psychology, psuche. A few chapters before Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your soul, or suke, or psyche, or translating the Hebrew nephesh, he, write, he says this in Mark 8, 35 to 37. Jesus says, for those who want to save their suke will lose it. And those who lose their suke for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their suke? Indeed, what can they give in return for their Suke. What is going on here? Your suke or your nephesh or your soul is all of you, and yet it's a part of you that you can talk to, and it's a part of you that you can lose or gain. 
soul. My soul is all of me, but there's something more. My soul is all of me, but my soul is also who I am when all is lost. My soul is all of me, but my soul is also who I am when all is lost. My soul is my true self, who I was created by God to be. It's the part of me that can survive despite unspeakable tragedy and extreme loss. Horatio Spafford and his wife, Anna, they lost their first son to pneumonia in 1871. Two years later, Anna was traveling with their four daughters by boat across the Atlantic. Mr. Spafford had stayed behind in Chicago. He had some business dealings. He was gonna join them in a few days. But the French ocean liner in which his wife and four daughters were traveling to go to Europe sank. The story is told of Anna praying with her four daughters, the oldest of who was 11, 11, 10, 6, 2, um, before that boat went down. And she was found holding on to, to some piece of ship uh, wreck, driftwood. She was found, but their four daughters were lost. Father, the father, uh, Mr. Spafford, he was on another boat traveling across. He was going to meet his wife, mourning the loss of all their remaining children. When he wrote these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. My soul is all of me. My soul is who I am when all is lost. This weekend, we celebrate another Martin Luther. Did you know that Dr. King was first named Michael? Michael King? In 1934, when he was five, his father, also Michael King, was sent by his church to a Baptist Alliance meeting in Europe, and the Reverend King was so touched by the life of Martin Luther that he changed his name, and he changed his son's name to be Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. understood that the soul is who I am when all is lost. He understood that the soul could be wounded. He said, never, never be afraid to do what's right, especially if the well-being of a person or animal is at stake. Society's punishments are small compared to the wounds we inflict on our soul when we look the other way. Our soul. He said that segregation scars the soul. He also said that hate scars the soul and distorts the personality. He said, our goal is to create a beloved community and this will require a qualitative change in our souls as well as a quantitative change in our lives. He said, we must meet the forces of hate with the power of love. We must meet physical force with soul force. Several times he talks about soul force. What is soul force? From what he says, soul force is our capacity to endure suffering while continuing to love. Soul force. Loving with our bodies and our minds and our spirit. On February 1, 1968, 
in Memphis, Tennessee, there was a torrential storm. Still, the Memphis Public Works Department demanded that its sanitation workers, all black men, should continue to work. Two workers, Ecole Cole and Robert Walker, took shelter from the rain in the back of their garbage truck. As they rode in the back, an electrical switch malfunctioned. The compactor turned on, and they were crushed. The department refused to compensate their families. 11 days later, as many as 1,300 sanitation workers walked off the job, protesting horrible working conditions. If you were a sanitation worker in Memphis in 1968, you would have to, by hand, pick up these huge tubs of garbage, and often the tubs would have holes in them, and so you would end up all day long picking up this garbage and having garbage uh, falling on you. The garbage would be leaking, and workers described maggots falling on them from this garbage. Most of these men made 65 cents an hour. I went back and looked, well, what is that in our day and age with inflation? That would be about $5.50 an hour today. The signs the sanitation workers carried read, I am a man. In other words, I am a soul. Dr. King went to Memphis to support the striking sanitation workers and on March 29, he was with them as they marched to City Hall past Tennessee National Guard troops with fixed bayonets, you see, uh, in the picture there. On April 3, Dr. King preached what would be his final sermon. At the end of that sermon, that came to be known as his mountaintop speech. He said, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. It was the next night that he was shot and killed on his balcony. Four days later, King's widow, Coretta Scott King, led more than 40,000 people in a silent march through the streets of Memphis. And finally, eight days after that, the Memphis City Council voted to recognize the union the Sanitation Workers Union, promising higher wages to the black workers, recognizing that they too were souls and had souls. My soul is all of me. My soul is who I am when all is lost. So how is your soul today? Is it well with your soul? Are you losing your soul in love for Jesus today? Or do you feel soul sick? Do you feel stuck in a soul-crushing scenario, gaining the world but losing your true self? 
However you find your soul today, friends, Jesus offers hope and healing for you, for me, for the part of you that's deepest, for your soul. If you know this song, I'd like to invite you to sing it with me. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? Oh soul, are you weary? 